0: Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media.
1: Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, I will be speaking to Mark Ashworth, a senior VP and CISO at First Bank uh, out of St. Louis, Missouri, I want to say. St. Louis, yep. Missouri, yeah. Um, Mark has been in the industry for 25 years, uh, dealing with both cybersecurity, physical security. I think prior to that, uh, you had a few roles in the IT and security architecture space. You, you were a part or, or even led a business and departmental strategy. Uh, You're you involved in budgeting, project manage- management, and I have seen you as a public speaker in, in on multiple videos. You're also a member of the St. Louis chapter of InfraGuard and a lifetime member of uh, FBI Citizens Academy. Uh, you hold a bunch of certificates such as CISSP, CISM, CRISC and more. And, and as I mentioned before, that before moving to the security space, I believe you grew from the IT space, but uh, I'm sure you could uh, do a much better job in introducing yourself. So if you want to step in, that would be a pleasure.
0: All right. Yeah. So thanks for having me uh, be glad to, uh, you know, talk here. So, um, yeah, I started off actually in development in the mid range on the S400 and and then moved my way over into uh, server management and PC desktops and networks and uh, eventually uh, started maintaining and and help deploying and architecting and Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and then settled into healthcare for about a half a dozen years, a little bit more. And then also in aerospace before getting into, uh, into finance here with the banking. Uh, I was uh, been in management for 15 plus years and, you know, approaching now and hard to believe almost 30 years in uh, IT in general. So definitely been through it all. Uh, I've been very technical uh, really up to this point here and with this position. Uh, I was, you know, I was the guy out there, you know, doing the updates on the servers, maintaining all those sort of things is all the way up to, you know, about three or four years ago. So uh, I've, I've lived what everyone else is doing. So I understand it. And, uh, you know, managing networks and everything and, you know, pushing out code and all that stuff. So I, I got a really broad background uh, as well as, you know, from a business perspective and project management side of things, you know, I, I, you know it's very uh, very broad under, understanding and and uh, and learning curve and everything that i've done so it's yeah it's been a great career
1: yeah and and not only from a technical perspective from what i understand so you moved from you moved across industries right you mentioned the health space and then fintech which is i think correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's a pretty it's pretty uncommon right to be, to be moving between industries
0: yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of advantage to doing that because then, you know, there's a lot of operational efficiencies that you learn from like healthcare or from manufacturing or, you know, FinTech and and so it does bring in different perspectives. Uh, now granted, there's a learning curve that you have to do when you move to a new industry, but I did have when I was consulting years ago. Um, I did work and did some uh, pen testing and technical audits uh, back in the early two thousands for several banks. So I did have banking experience, just not uh, you know full time that you know someone else might have had. Which I I think as you know my career is kind of shown here at the bank, and it's really brought in a different perspective to IT. And security and the business to really kind of help out, and and so I think it's been a good experience overall.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and thank you for that introduction. Uh, I really uh, usually I like to start with a couple of icebreaker questions here. Uh, my, my my signature two are, uh are around your marital status and your favorite drink.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, I've been married now uh let's see here it will be 30 years next year so uh so i've been with my lovely wife for uh for 29 years here and my favorite drink would probably be a a a white chocolate mocha that's probably my favorite one right now so and the bad part is i'm on a diet so i can't have it right now so that's
1: (laughs) so white chocolate mocha is that the one you have in starbucks you mean
0: Starbucks or local coffee shop yeah yeah
1: Mm. is the local coffee shop there is that something with Malibu Caribbean Malibu I want to say or something like that is that correct or not
0: uh the the one that's real close to me is a place called exit 11 and uh, they got really good mochas there it's a Colombian type coffee but yeah the uh they're they're pretty good okay white well, chocolate mocha. then
1: that's yeah. the first uh okay uh let's you know and and the the intent of this podcast and, and and this interview is basically to get to know you better so i'm less interested in you know like technical achievements or anything specific around compliance or even cybersecurity. i'm more mm-hmm. interested uh, interested in learning about your path Your career path, your, you know, big decisions, achievements, failures, basically to 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 gain some insights um, and to be able to digest it and deliver it to our listeners uh, that might be able to learn something from your experience. Um, So let's dive right in. Uh, If there's one thing you wish you had known before you began your career, what would that be?
0: So, Plan for five years at a time, because really, you know, and, and you would hear the question during the interview, you know, what's your plan in five years, but your life's going to change, your career is going to change, your interest is going to change as you get into your career and you start looking. You know, when we were talking about my background earlier, I started off in development, I thought development was like the coolest thing. And then I w- got into consulting and I was doing development and consulting, but then I started uh, going to different clients and learning uh, about their networks and deploying servers and working on PCs and learning about their businesses. And then I got to the point where I couldn't sit still eight hours a day coding anymore. That just bored me. I, I liked the you know, that constant uh, uh, exposure. So, and then, you know, and then I eventually made it into management, but then I stayed, you know, technical and learning different things, deploying different things. So, you know. Plan five years at a time. Your life's going to change both personally and professionally, and so to expect that you're going to be doing the exact same thing for thirty years—don't don't plan on that.
1: That's one of the questions I keep asking my uh, the. Um you know, before I onboard employees, I, I used to be asking that like, what's your plan for the next five years? Or where do you see yourself in five years from now? Um, because yeah, I, I do feel that on one hand, I do feel that you can't really plan like uh, 30 years in advance, but I do, I personally, I do believe in, in long-term goals, in long-term goals. Uh, I, I believe that once you have a goal, you, you know, you keep, you keep striving to, to reach it basically. Uh but uh, and if we could uh, touch on your biggest failure and what did you learn from it could you could you nail it down to like a single one or a couple of those
0: yeah i think my biggest failure was i worked in a uh a, a couple of hostile environments one of them was very politically hostile environment you know so they were pulling me one way or another and the other one was uh Uh, just, you know, it was kind of one of those where if, even if it wasn't something that, uh, could easily be controlled, there was always someone coming into my office and yelling because the systems were running, you know, it took two seconds to click versus one second to click, you know, that's, that's sort of goofy things. And it was just really hostile and just not recognizing that and getting out of that sooner i think that was probably one of my biggest failures and you know and hoping that if i'm ever in that situation again i recognize it soon enough to actually get out of there and you know because then once you do all this weight is off your shoulder and you could actually think and be creative and and uh you know you're not uh, you're not pushing that uh hostility down to others and those sort of things and so yeah i think that was my my biggest failure is not recognizing i was in a bad environment
1: mm-hmm. okay so the, the failure was not uh, the fact that you were working in a hostile environment but the fact that you didn't get out soon enough right
0: right yeah, yeah. I, I didn't recognize it until it was i was in way too deep
1: yeah uh i get what you mean and, and that was in a in an in, in one of your position uh, in the IT space, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because this usually happened, used to happen in more in IT, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and having touched on that, on the biggest failure, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was?
0: So that there, I would say that's my family. I mean, you know, uh, my kids and everything they're doing and my wife and, and uh, you know, Career-wise, yeah, there's been a lot of great things, you know, uh, doing these sort of things, I think, is really good. And, you know, the writing and public speaking and, you know, obtaining CISO, you know, those sort of things. I think those are all, you know, great accomplishments, but really compared to my family, you know, that's that's to me the biggest thing.
1: Okay, thank you. Um and if, there, if there's any uh, advice you could give out to uh, a professional, a practitioner that wanted to pursue a career similar to yours, what would that be?
0: So there's, there's a couple of approaches from, you know, being like a CISO, and some of them are very business-oriented and uh, not very technical. And then there's the approach kind of I took. I was very technical and with management background and, and going that route. So, you know, myself, if, if you are uh, uh, an analyst or an IT person or wherever you might be in your career, uh, you know, you need to learn about the business. You need to stay up to date. Uh, security changes on a daily basis. You know, development changes some, but not very often. There's, you know, and some people might argue with me on that it itself changes at a fairly rapid pace but security changes daily and so to know that and the willingness to uh to stay educated to do those extra things that you need to do to stay up to date uh you need to do that if you're going to get into security in general uh if you're going to make that leap, if you're going over from IT or or uh, or graduating from school, you know, one of the things I ask all all the candidates is what do you do to stay up to date? What do you do to stay up and continue learning on what's going on? You know, what magazine articles, you know, online or physical it doesn't matter, Muslims online uh, are you reading? What podcasts, security podcasts are you listening to on a regular basis? Uh, you know, what readings are you doing? You know, those sort of things is what you have to do to stay up to date in in the security business and to be able to move up. And then, you know, always keep the business in mind first. So we don't want to be a, uh, a hamper to the business, but we want to enable the business to continue to grow, to do the things that they need to do. But we just need to make sure that it's done securely, and so uh, you know it's not. It shouldn't be that office of no, and if it is, then you're probably uh, not very well liked within the the business from that perspective. So,
1: yeah, th- and that's very interesting. But let me ask you that th- this. Um, so, when you interview a potential employee, or or, or a potential candidate, actually, so would you be more inclined to to hire someone that knows more about the business in your space, or would you actually think it's beneficial for someone outside of the industry? And as you mentioned, like you moved across industries, right? You were in the health space before moving to the banking industry. So would you think would you think that is actually an advantage, or do you would you feel that you need someone that had some expertise in, in the banking industry?
0: Well, I think the answer is it depends on the position, right? So if you're doing someone that, if you're hiring or interviewing someone that is very heavy in the fraud side, you would want someone that's more in the banking business and understands the different types of fraud that's occurring in the financial sector. But if you're hiring an analyst that's looking for, you know, anomalies on the network and that's where, as long as they have some sort of technical background that's associated with the position, it doesn't matter in my mind whether you were in financials or or in or in manufacturing or wherever so it's it's more about what your drive is you know what's your passion for security and uh, your willingness to learn and then next would be what your technical skills are uh, to get into the position
1: okay thank you um and What do you feel about the tension between, you know, being a CISO, uh, okay, okay, let me rephrase. What do do you feel about the tension between information security, cybersecurity and compliance and IT, and specifically around the potential conflict of interest of someone holding a position of a CISO uh, intermingled with IT responsibilities or either reporting to an IT function?
0: So, uh... There, there's a lot of there's a lot of synergies there and you know you can have an argument that the CISO should report up to risk or should report up to uh, the president of the company or to I uh, the CIO and there's advantages and it depends on the organization and the culture and the overall structure off there uh, my personal opinion is that it should be, reporting either to the cio or to the president of the organization and as the organization grows then it probably the c will probably report up to the president because there's there's oversight that's being done across the organization and the uh everything is technical in in the companies anymore you know there's there's you know Really, very parts, very few parts of the business that has not, that IT doesn't have some sort of influence over. So, to work having that relationship with the CIO and to be able to work with uh, the, the IT group to make sure that there's proper governance there and reducing the risk in IT. As well as being able to l- work with the business groups and reduce the risk there, and or provide governance around the risks that could happen, that's associated with it. And it, it also depends on what sort of areas that the CISO's is uh, responsible for, uh, whether they have privacy in there, uh, compliance, uh, maybe physical security. You know, all those different areas uh, are. You know could roll up to the CISO and it all depends on the organization and the responsibilities too on on really where that structure uh, should go to either which way the CISO should have some sort of either dotted line or something to the to the board yeah. and should have a, a, a seat or necessarily not necessarily a seat if but it all depends on the organization again Uh, but should at least have a voice with the board and the board should be talking to the CISO about those risks uh, around it because cybersecurity is one of the the number one things out there that's going to affect the uh, organization.
1: Yeah, and you actually answered my next question because I was about to ask you, because you mentioned that, you know, uh, a CISO can and might be – might be a subordinate of the CIO, but then you, my next question would have been, okay, but then how do you make sure your voice is heard with leadership? So yeah, I, I and I completely agree with you on that. Um, and, you know, being in the cybersecurity industry and growing from IT and, you know, being in a management position for the, for the last 15 years, what would you say were the best resources that have helped you along the way?
0: Uh, to become a CISO?
1: Uh, You know, I think to basically to support your new career, was it like, you know, academia, uh, self-learning, mentors, influentials?
0: Sure. For me, it was a lot of uh, self-learning and um, I was one of the one of the first in the state of Missouri to get CISSP years ago. And unfortunately, uh, back then it was harder to get the CPEs. And so I let it expire and, and I had to take that test again. So that was my drive to get back into security because it was something that was kind of hanging over, over me. And uh, so maybe that's one of my biggest regrets there is letting that thing expire, but, uh, but, um uh, you know, so once I got that, I was just in, you know, a full, you know, like a train wasn't going to stop and I was going to keep driving more and more into security and got the CISM and C-Risk and, and I did security plus to help encourage one of my teammates and stuff. And so, um, and really that's what got me into it in the first place was security. And I kind of lost track of that over the years, getting into management and, and staying in it and, and so you know just bringing that back because that was really where it, what really drove me you know the, the movie war games that I walked out of the theater and I was like that's what I want to do you know so <laughs> that's uh, you know and so that's really where you know it kind of all started and and I'm just glad I you know came full circle and got back down and around to it so
1: what's the one common myth about your profession that you want to debunk
0: I think, uh, some people might think it or security is easy and it's not, you know, I, I think, uh, people think that it's, uh, uh, you know, you go in there and you get your degree and you're done. And, and, uh, but you know, there's, you have to stay up, you have to keep learning. And the other thing too, you gotta, you gotta have thick skin. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, they, you don't, uh, your teams themselves might get a lot of kudos, but you usually hear more negative things than you hear uh, uh, positive things about IT, right? Uh, from the company and you know, so it's it's always IT's fault, those sort of things. And uh, you, you'll hear some that are appreciative and uh, but for the most part, it, you know, you have to have thick skin, so.
1: Yeah, so IT and security is not easy and you have to have thick skin. And yeah, Yeah. and I think it's, I think it's relevant both for uh, cybersecurity and and NIT, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you you get a lot of uh, heat uh, and it doesn't matter like what you do. I mean, I'm not saying all the time, but uh, I have seen it happen a lot. Um, Can you share your thoughts about the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have in general?
0: Well, I think one of the one of the things out there right now is protecting the remote workers. You know, with every over the past year, the change and shift in business and everything. Uh, the uh, um, you know, it, it, depending on how prepared and what controls you had in place, remote remote workers are providing new efficiencies around that. I think is is critical. Um, and the other, you know, the overall. Threat landscape is continuing to grow, and uh, the fraud and scams are continuing to grow. And so it's uh, really keeping up with those areas and ransomware, uh, you know, making sure that your environment is as protected as possible and pre- preventing uh, lateral movement. I, you know, those are all I think big things to be worried about right now.
1: Yeah, and what about supply chain, by the way?
0: yeah you know supply chain that one's you know that one's a, a difficult one, but if you put in the right uh segmentation policies and uh you know maybe micro segmentation in order to try to reduce that risk of a compromised supply chain uh, attack like SolarWinds, uh that's going to reduce your risk, but there's not really a single silver bullet that's going to really you know stop that from happening
1: yeah of course there's not um okay and um can you can you uh share a bit about your daily routine like where you get your where you get your updates from like if you have any favorite blogs podcasts newsletters etc
0: yeah so um i listen to a lot of podcasts i also check um you know a lot of the business you know the regular sites your Fox, CNN, those sort of things, too, just to look at, you know, updates from a business or uh, what's happening uh, in the political environments because the physical will affect the virtual. And so knowing that something's happening over Iran or Russia or China can help lead to, um, you know, what type of attacks that, you know, you might experience. you know, Krebs on security is a good one. SC magazine is a good one. ZDNet, Bleeping Computer, all good sites, uh, CIO Review, um, and a few others uh, along that line. Um, security Now is my favorite podcast with uh, Steve Gibson. Um, and he's one that probably I've listened, that's one I've probably listened to the most over probably the last seven, eight years. So it's uh, a good weekly podcast. Uh, IC Stormcast is another good one, uh, and uh, which is done by Sands. Uh, there's Hacking Humans, uh, that's a good one. The CISO series uh, is another good one. Defense in Depth, uh, which is part of that. I, I recommend all my vendors if you want to better learn on how to, you know, uh, work with the CISO or CIO. that listen to the CISO series, uh, vendor relationship podcast. Uh Blogs, I really don't read a lot of blogs or anything, but it's more of the newsletters and um uh, alerts from, you know, U.S. CERT, those sort of areas. Mm-hmm.
1: And is the CISO series, is that run by David Spark? Yes. Okay, yeah. I'm also a subscriber to that. Mm-hmm. Um anything you can share again in general outlines about budget planning in the industry like uh you know 2021 uh, as opposed to 2019 2020 did, did you see a shift
0: yeah you know there i think there's a shift around again we talked a little bit about around the remote worker side so i think you'll see a, a shift around some endpoint protections also um uh depending on how long this is going to last and what maybe the organization uh decides on for you know how permanent remote workers will be uh shoring up uh, uh you know vpn type of access or remote access into the systems i, I think there will be a, a some budget changes or planning that will be done around that to uh you know maybe look at um uh, uh you know some of the sassy type of solutions to make it easier always on vpns those sort of uh technologies and, and then the associated forensics and ips that and ids is that'll needed to to help monitor for that
1: sure and and actually i have a follow-up question on that what's your take on on what's going to happen do you think you know companies will move into a hybrid model then like allowing employees to stay remotely for for partial time, like for, for part time, then.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think the one thing that is was easily figured out was that the myth that people that companies couldn't be efficient working remotely. I think that's been blown away, right? I think a lot of I think a lot of companies have figured out that hey, you know, that we are as efficient, if not more efficient, because of it. I think, at least in the short term, maybe in the next five years, there will, there will probably be less in-office space or office space that's going to be required. Um, it could be a. I think there will be some workers that will probably be permanently remote, and then others would be in a hybrid mode, and then uh, probably a smaller percentage will be actually in office uh, going forward. At least, you know, I, I think this is going to be a cycle type thing. I think there's this is probably going to be a you know a, a 2 to 5 year where this is going to be pretty heavy remote and then probably in 5 years it could be all back in the office you know again as uh you know covid's forgotten about and and everything else and you know hopefully we forget about covid and and uh you know in 2020 so <laughs> Mhm
1: and, uh, and you know, that's interesting because f- for us, when we were founded 12 years ago, we were actually a 100% remote company. And then mm-hmm. after a few years, we took up our first space, but then, uh, and, and you know, now for the past year and a, almost year and a half now, we we've been completely remote. Uh, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Th- th- that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see what will happen with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wanted to ask you another follow-up question about the maturity of the industry. Did you feel that uh, our industry, like cybersecurity and compliance, you think it has matured tremendously? Do you think do you think we still have like uh, um, a lot of work to do, or uh, where do you position ourselves as an industry right now?
0: Yeah, I think I think we have matured over you know the past few years, especially there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you know, I, I, th- there's such an influx of products that's out there. And I think uh, there's gonna be, I think there's gonna be some consolidation that's gonna occur, uh, you know, uh, the, the endpoint side of, th- uh, of, of monitoring and protection. Um, I think Microsoft is going to be incorporating a lot of those basics into their Windows Defender product more and more, so I think you're going to see less of that, and then it's going to be more around providing additional forensics uh, and uh, observation of what's happening on the endpoint. While Microsoft is bringing in, you know, better application control features, they have some in there right now, but you know, nothing to the level of, of McAfee Solid Core, or Carbon Black uh, Protect, or anything along like that line. I think that's going to continue to merge, much like they've done with antivirus. You know, they've, you know, Defender's probably, you know, it's up there just with the top of all of them from an AV standpoint. Um and you know, with their ATP solution, now they have EDR capabilities and XDR capabilities. And as more and more goes up to the cloud, having that overall exposure is going to continue. So um I think there's gonna be a lot more in the uh the ability to analyze what's happening. And I hope there's more b- maturity and options around uh you know the sim type of platforms and capabilities because as the industry is changing to these xdr formats to be able to get better uh, better analysis uh in there because no matter what sock needs to have you know some sort of single point to be able to do that monitoring do the analytics do the uh, uh have that intelligence of what's going on in the enterprise and you can't have them go into multiple different places to, uh, to find that data uh, because you're gonna miss something. So having that one-stop application to, to pull in all the analytics of traffic and logs and and user behavior and device behavior and all that sort of things, it, I think that's, I'm hoping that's where we continue to mature at, because right now I think it's lacking.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the sense of, uh, you're, you're speaking about consolidation of, of aggregators and, and basically, you know, uh consolidating of those specific products that are related to the endpoint then to make it easier to analyze and digest information that you intake, right?
0: Right, yeah. And when I'm saying endpoint, not just the PCs, laptops, but servers. Servers you know, as well, yeah. has uh, you know, all those things, getting wherever there's, you know, systems running uh, that's, you know, connecting to the network, getting that analytics, I think is critical from a, a sock perspective.
1: Okay, um, thank you. And fortunately the noise outside subsided, subsided a bit, but um, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about uh, you know vendors. If mm-hmm. you put yourself in the shoes of a vendor, just for a moment, what is it that you would do when looking to engage with a new customer?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I know the vendors are under, especially in the startup companies are under a lot of pressure to, you know, get the sales and, you know, get the contacts and stuff. But really, I, I for me, the, the more successful ones are the ones that are building the relationship first and not just trying to sell something, uh, you know, if a vendor is reaching out to me on LinkedIn, you know, a lot of times, you know, the first thing, you know, it's not even, hello, here's my product. Here's what, you know, you need this. I need 15 minutes of your time. And, and, uh, you know, I I don't have 15 minutes for a hundred vendors that reach out to me every day. Right. So, um, so, you know, provide, if you're going to do that, provide the information on the product. And then if, if the, CISO so or the manager or whoever is you know dealing with that uh they have the information available to them then at that point and, and can uh, reach out if they have something on there uh but don't assume that you know what their problem is when you haven't even talked to them so uh you know build that relationship first and then uh then the sales will come so some of my favorite uh salespeople, uh you know when we meet you know, we don't even necessarily talk about, uh, business, but then when, uh, when I need something, they're the ones that I'm going to say, Hey, do you have a solution for this? Or do you have a solution for that? And that's whenever they get the sale then.
1: Mm-hmm. So build the relationship first. That's your, uh, that's what you, you would do. Um, yeah. and you know, out of all those sales speeches that you encounter, is there like any one or two that really stood out? Uh, in, i mean in boy in, in being most annoying i forgot to add okay. that
0: <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so there there's two of them that i get very frequently uh one is whenever it's the first time they send me something but they will make it sound like it's the you know the second that I, we've talked in the past and we yeah. like, have even heard of your product so how could we have talked? and they'll even have it you know in the email the cold call email they will have it as a a reply you know re in the subject line and it's like okay well no um and if it's you know the third fourth or fifth time you're having to send me an email and i haven't responded i'm not going to respond to you at that point but i think the most comical one has been whenever uh for a, a first approach they sent me a calendar invite uh, assuming that I was going to accept that calendar to meet with them. And it's like, no, <laughs> you know, that's an instant delete right there. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I think you described the, the common techniques here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it that you are then looking for in a vendor? And I think you answered that partially. Uh, I'm assuming it's around building relationship. But uh, if there's any like you know, specific story you, you wanted to share about that,
0: Yeah. You know, the, I think the, the best vendors that I work with they're They're honest that, you know, they'll, if their product that they're selling doesn't meet my needs, they are upfront. They don't waste my time. They don't waste my team's time. Uh, you know, it's not high pressure. You know, the last thing you want is a salesperson that feels like they're a used car salesman. Right. And there's a lot of those out there. So, uh, you know, you don't want that type of pressure off of it. and. Um, you know, and just just integrity with the the company and if if the salesperson, whether it's a bar or whatever uh is up front and you know if they have the right solution, they tell you or if it if it meets your use case and those sort of things, and then uh you know trying to get you the the best price so uh you know saying that this is your this is the only price that we can get. Uh, that's probably probably not a good answer. And you're probably not going to, you know, get a lot of sales there. Uh, you know, there's, we all know there's a retail price. There's a end of quarter price. There's an end of year price, right? So just be upfront about that. And, and uh, you know, because if you're wanting to sell something, you need to be looking at it as a partnership. And to try to break me over the coals on pricing is not going to give you a long-term thing, especially if it's... If you're in a subscription model, uh, because you know, at the end of, the, of that term, you know, we'll, we'll be looking for, you know, what other options are out there at that time. So.
1: Mm-hmm, Okay, and you know, before moving on, I I, I keep I keep thinking uh, about uh, a James Bond villain. You know, with you sitting right there with a the cat behind <laughs> you, and, and I can't get <laughs> over it. It's just it, it's so funny. I, I yeah. I'm not sure if we can share that or not but maybe we'll include it in the teaser <laughs>
0: so. yeah uh, one of my uh, teammates here just yesterday said that they're waiting for me to be on the call and just petting my cat you know as like someone evil you know so uh, exactly yeah, he's definitely my my buddy here during the day so well <laughs>
1: um well, let's see where was I? Yeah, I wanted to ask you if you had any any other CEOs in the industry that you look up to, if you wanted to name drop a few of
0: those. Yeah, you know here locally, uh, Gary Harbison. I, I I love listening to him speak whenever he's with uh, uh, Bear, and uh, he's he's really interesting to listen to. Um, there's. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I like listening. He's not a CISO, but, and we kind of mentioned him earlier, Steve Gibson from, uh, Gibson research. Uh, he's got the security now podcast. i never met him, but you know, just, just his perspective on security and everything. I, I really like his and, and, um, uh, you know, there's gosh, I, I got such a great network. I hate calling out anyone in particular. So it's, uh, um, there's, um, uh, uh, Kevin Hardcastle. Uh, he's he's a great guy. He's been through uh, you know seeing a lot in the business and uh, really helps you know give back to the community as well. And and um, uh, gosh, I don't know I can't. I, I've gone blank. <laughs> that that's
1: fine. I mean, the, the largest the network that you have, you know, it's it's more difficult to come up with specific names. That's yeah understandable. Uh Is there any way, you know, and we we've touched about this previously with, you know, building relationship first, but is there any way that vendors can actually connect with you in a non-intrusive manner?
0: Uh, You know, the, I think the easiest way is through LinkedIn and to reach out via LinkedIn. And, you know, I, I got a pretty significant network there and following and, Uh, You know, like I said, you know, the best way, you know, reach out, build that relationship. I try to answer whenever I can. Um, And, you know, if you have a product, you know, toss it out there on the information. And when if there's something that I need uh That's usually where I go to first is my contacts and LinkedIn. I, I, let me take that back. I got my main vendors I go to to see if they have anything, but I'll also reach out to LinkedIn and see what other competitors that's that uh, compared to what my vendors have, and that's where I would you know can easily pull up the information and look at it and see if you're a right fit, and then I can reach out to you through LinkedIn and, and get to it. But I think the big thing is don't ask for ten to fifteen minutes of my time you know, when you do do that, because, you know, I don't have it, my schedule is, is crammed all the time. And uh, and so, you know, just provide me with the information and I will reach out. Uh, and, you know, I always say, you know, it's like, well, I, I know somebody that has this. And so whether it's for me or for somebody else, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you know, I will forward the name over or whatever, so, it, you know, it, it it pays to, you know, just provide the information, so.
1: Okay, so LinkedIn for as a main means of communication. Uh, is there one thing uh, that you could uh, single out as the most important thing to you in your career?
0: Um, I think the uh, not saying no has been the biggest thing. You know, that uh, when I've had an opportunity to come across of you know hey can you do this and if I knew it or not I would say say yes I could do it and you know there was especially in consulting you know the way I learned so much so quickly was I would always say yes and it'd be like you know two days before having to do a job and I'd be reading everything I could to learn about it and you know spinning up a test environment or whatever it was and so you know just that constant learning and and really just trying to tackle everything I could and. And I think that's been the biggest thing to help drive me forward.
1: Okay. Um, before we wrap this up, uh, I I did want to ask you a couple of uh, final questions here.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, is there anything you've read or listened to recently that has inspired you? And I know you mentioned, you know, some podcasts, uh, but is there any, any, anything that you wanted to like single out that you could, uh, you know, you could say about that was very inspiring to you lately
0: you know there's there's always those there's always those little tidbit things of hey you know uh think about this you know in your environment or are you thinking about that but nothing yeah nothing really major so you might not want to do that one
1: (laughs) sure no no problem there okay uh if you had unlimited funds what would you do with your life
0: Oh, I travel. So, you know, uh, wife and kids, and we would go everywhere that we could. So, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't even care if it was, you know, five star. That part I didn't care about, but just getting out and seeing the world. Uh, you know, I hope uh, I uh, when I retire and that sort of things, I hope I'm able to do all that. So,
1: yeah. Did you travel extensively? We've, we've traveled
0: some, yeah. So we've traveled some, but definitely would like to travel more. So, especially yeah. after the COVID stuff, you know, really, I think like a lot of people are really itching to get out, but, uh, you know, we want to be cautious when we do.
1: Yeah, well, soon, I think, in the U.S., not sure about Europe. It's probably going to take some time before they, they're back on their feet. But, um, and definitely, you know, places like, I don't know, like Thailand or Southeast Asia, I, I presume it's going to take a few years, uh, but but hopefully soon we can get on the we can get on the road again um okay mark uh, i think we're just about to wrap this up we're almost at the end of, of our time and thank you so much for joining me in this podcast uh it was a pleasure speaking to you uh hopefully you know some of your answers would resonate and some of uh, the listeners out there could learn about your past and maybe even learn from your experience. So thank you again for joining.
0: Thank you for having me.